0: Hey, Forge family. Last week we looked at Genesis chapter 40 as it plays out the story of Joseph. Uh, he's still in prison, he's in jail. In episode number five, there's a shift in the name of, of how uh, the name of God is used. Chapter 39, you know, there's all these references to the covenant name of Yahweh. That, that the name was given to, to his people, Israel but then it shifts over to Elohim, okay, a more generic descriptor of our triune God. Okay, Joseph was promoted to leadership again, but now he's over the affairs in all the jail. And during his tenure in that position, two of Pharaoh's highest servants had greatly angered him, and he put them in Potiphar's house in the jail, in confinement where Joseph was. And Potiphar assigned Joseph to care for those officials until Pharaoh passed judgment. Now, each of those officials, the cupbearer and the baker, they had an individual dream. They They brought their fallen countenances to breakfast, and Joseph said, What's going on, guys? And they said, well, we've had a dream, but there's no one to interpret. In which case, Joseph says, aren't all dreams subject to the interpretation of Elohim? And tell me, tell me the dreams. And they did. And three days later, after he interprets those dreams for the the court officials, the cupbearer was as predicted as the interpretation said. He was restored to his relationship of trust. In his office and in the favor of Pharaoh. And just as the dream had been interpreted, the baker was executed. In all of this, the cupbearer forgot Joseph's pleas to be remembered before Pharaoh. And two more years pass with Joseph in prison. He'd been in Egypt 13 years now as a slave. And as a steward, Joseph's destiny still rests in God's hands, as does ours. All right, let's pray, people. Lord God, as we begin this account of of Joseph's elevation to rule and to the stewardship over the whole land of Egypt, Lord, we want to see, we want to hear by Holy Spirit. We've got the plot down, Lord. Now, please lead our pathways into more kingdom reality as we begin episode number six. Amen. All right, Forge family, be blessed as we begin. Let's read Genesis 41, verses 1 to 8. and It says, Now, it happened at the end of two full years, This is speaking of Joseph's incarceration, okay? At two more years, that Pharaoh had a dream, and behold, he was standing by the Nile. And lo, from the Nile there came up seven cows, sleek and fat. They were were glistening because they're soaking wet, okay? And they grazed in in the marsh grass. Then behold, seven other cows came up after them from the Nile, ugly and gaunt, and they stood by the other cows on the bank of the Nile, and the ugly and gaunt cows ate up the seven sleek and fat cows. And then Pharaoh awoke, and he fell asleep and dreamed a second time, and behold, seven ears of grain came up in a single st- on a single stalk, plump and good. Then behold, seven ears, thin and scorched by the east wind, sprouted up after them. And the thin ears swallowed up the seven plump and full ears. Then Pharaoh awoke, and behold, it was a dream. And now it came about in the morning that his spirit was troubled. And so he sent and called for all the magicians of Egypt and all his wise men. And Pharaoh told them his dreams, but there was no one who could interpret them to Pharaoh. All right, let's go back to the beginning of this. The, the, the scenes of the cattle, this is distinctly Egyptian imagery because when the Nile floods, it, ru- it rushes out of the highlands way to the south. Remember, the Nile starts in Ethiopia. It starts back in Sudan, and it runs due north. Okay, And when it floods, it spreads out across the land, and it, 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 and it causes the land to flourish Okay, and in this case, you've got seven fat cows that come up out of the water and they've been feeding in the marshes. Now, it's a very typical scene because the cows would be right by the water where it was the most green, the most lush. And when the heat got to them and when the insects pestered them, they'd simply go submerge themselves in the cool water. And then the text, you know, this started with, look, and now it continues. It says, behold, there were seven gaunt cows starving, ugly, awful beasts came up from the Nile and they stood there and then devoured the seven fat cows. And, and Pharaoh's awake. Pharaoh's like, whoa, what's that? And, but then he goes back to sleep and he is given a second dream. And the second dream is descriptive of seven full ears of grain that come up on one stalk. That speaks of an astounding harvest because it's usually one ear of grain per stalk, Okay. And that's and that also refers back to the flooding of the Nile and to prosperity in the land. Okay, that's immediately followed by seven years of thin, scorched vegetation that's been scorched by the east wind that sprouted up and then swallowed up the seven good ears. So let me depart from the text here a little bit. Um, there is an Egyptian document that speaks of a historical case. Ancient historical case of super low rainfall. And in upper Egypt, if you will, way, way to the south. Close to Sudan in Ethiopia. Okay, This is at the source of the Nile. There's such a, a savage famine. This Egyptian wrote the account that, quote, every father was eating their own children. Unquote. Okay? So savage famines were not unknown to the egyptians and then second uh, you know that it's they they have something called the kam scene it it's a fiery dust-laden wind that comes up from the desert to the south to the southwest it comes off the sahara it comes in the spring comes in the fall and it can come in and just torch the land okay so that every living thing okay that's growing on the land is just shriveled and and the water holes and cisterns away from the Nile are completely dried out. And it's a devastating thing. But in this case, in this case specifically, it says the wind came from the east. Well, what's to the east of Egypt? The Arabian Peninsula. The Arabian part of the Asian subcontinent. Okay, and this wind came off the Arabian deserts, blew itself right across the red sea and just ate up just torched the land of egypt so pharaoh arises in the morning gets up he's had a rugged night and his spirit is troubled that's identically the same language that occurs when nebuchadnezzar cannot sleep and it says his spirit was troubled daniel chapter 2 okay remember the this the the, the um, aphorism if you will from our American South that says, if mama ain't happy, nobody's happy. All right? Same thing in, in, in Pharaoh. If Pharaoh's not happy, the whole nation is not happy in Egypt. So Pharaoh summons his soothsayers, his priests that keep the dream books. They're diviners, okay? They're, they use all manner of of power manipulation the occult, okay, to be able to foretell the future. Okay, and they failed. They failed. These, these hartumim, this is a, a, a loan word, it's an Egyptian word. These were the wisest, most educated men in Egypt. They were probably the most spiritually deviant men in Egypt as well, but none of them could interpret the dreams of Pharaoh. All right, let's read verses 9 to 13, and it says, Then the chief cupbearer, who is standing with Pharaoh, he's there, he's physically present all the time. And he says to Pharaoh, I would make mention today of my own offenses. Pharaoh was furious with his servants, and he put me in confinement in the house of the captain and the bodyguard, both me and the chief baker. And we had a dream on the same night, he and I, each of us dreamed according to the interpretation of his own dream. Now, a Hebrew youth was with us there, a servant of the captain of the bodyguard, and we related to them, meaning the dreams, to him. And he interpreted our dreams for us. To each one he interpreted according to his own dream, and it came about that just as he interpreted for us, so it happened. He restored me in my office, meaning, really, that's Pharaoh. Okay, Pharaoh re- restored uh, this man. By means of the interpretation from God, from Elohim. But he hanged him. He hanged the baker. Okay? The baker, um, you know, the, the cupbearer is put back into favor and presence and, and his duties to Pharaoh. But the baker is taken out and impaled. Here, the cupbearer kind of goes, Oh, I remember. Remember two years ago, you were so angry with me, my lord? You sent me down to Potiphar's jail, and there I had my dream interpreted, and I'm back. But that same Hebrew servant of Potiphar was accurate in terms of his interpretation of the baker's dream. Let's read verses 14 to 24. It says, Then Pharaoh sent and called for Joseph, and they hurriedly brought him out of the dungeon. And when he had shaved himself and changed his clothes, he came to Pharaoh. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, I've had a dream, but no one can interpret it, and I've heard it said about you that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. Joseph then answered Pharaoh, saying, It is not in me. God will give Pharaoh a favorable answer. So Pharaoh spoke to Joseph. In my dream, behold, I was standing on the bank of the Nile, and behold, seven cows, fat and sleek, came up out of the Nile. They grazed in the march grass, and lo, seven other cows came up after them, poor and very ugly and gaunt, such as I've never seen for ugliness in all the land of Egypt. So Pharaoh's elaborating here a little bit. And the lean and hungry cows ate up the first seven fat cows. Yet when they were devoured, he devoured them. When they devoured them, it could not be detected that they had devoured them. There's no change. They're just as ugly as they were before, just as gaunt as they were before. Okay? Then I awoke. Verse 22. I saw also in my dream, and behold, seven ears full of good, full of good, came up on a single stalk, and lo, seven ears, withered, thin, and scorched by the east wind, sprouted up after them, and the thin ears swallowed the seven good ears. Then I told it to the magicians, to these soothsayer priests. But there was no one who could explain it to me. All right, so here's the retelling by Pharaoh. Okay, but to start this process, he has to send down to the jail to get this Hebrew slave out. And they rushed him. But you see, there's a protocol to be presented in front of the Pharaoh you gotta wash, you gotta get the jail stink off of you. That may have taken some time to scrub that man down. Okay, then they changed his clothes. You see, that's symbolic. That's even prophetic. There's a change of status that's happening to Joseph. And then lastly, he has to be ritually clean, ceremonially clean, personally clean. His hygiene has to be impeccable. Now, in Egypt, when you see on the sarcophagi or sarcophagus, you know, the burial, you know, uh, uh, covers, if you will, over the tombs, in the tombs, Okay, it often shows pharaohs with beards. It even shows queens of Egypt with beards. But those are strap-ons, guys. Those are fake beards. They're just there for ritual. Okay? In the Hebrew world, a beard was an honor. In the Egyptian world, being hairy was an abomination. And so they shaved that man, Joseph. He came in glistening. There wasn't a hair on him. Okay? Okay? And he's presented in front of Pharaoh. And Pharaoh has no small talk. He just goes right to the point. I'm told you do dream interpretations. Okay? And immediately, immediately, Joseph responds, It ain't me. It ain't me. I cannot interpret. But Elohim, God, will give Pharaoh a favorable answer. Meaning an answer to the answer he desires. Or an answer that will speak to this this kerfuffle in his spirit. See, this pagan king already has a bond with Elohim because of the dream. And that's critical because the welfare, not just of Pharaoh, but of all Egypt and the surrounding nations depend on Pharaoh's relationship with the gods You know, his pantheon of God's, but more specifically here, with Elohim. In verses 17 to 24, in the retelling of Pharaoh's dream, you know, it's the same thing. You know, the the gaunt, ugly cows gobble up the fat cows, and there's no change. You know, it's inconceivable that gaunt cow, number one, cows don't eat cows, but even if they did, they wouldn't be gaunt anymore, but they were. Same thing with the scorched heads of grain that eat up the fat grain. No change. And Pharaoh said, no one knows. It cannot be explained to me. All right, let's read verses 25 to 32. Now Joseph said to Pharaoh, Pharaoh's dreams are one and the same. God has told Pharaoh what he's about to do. So Joseph puts Pharaoh on notice that he's just stepped onto God territory. The seven good cows are seven years, and the seven good ears are seven years. And the dreams are one and the same. And the seven lean, ugly cows that came up after them are seven years. And the seven thin ears scorched by the east wind shall be seven years of famine. That is a dire, dire thing that, that Joseph had to just deliver to this pharaoh. And it has, it says... It is as I have spoken to Pharaoh, God has shown to Pharaoh what he's about to do. All right, realize here, verse 25 said the same thing, okay? The telling, the retelling, and the interpretation of Pharaoh's dream is sandwiched. Okay, it's wrapped, they wrap around, there's bookheads on this. God is telling Pharaoh what he's about to do, verse 25. Verse 28, God has shown Pharaoh what he's about to do. The famine is going to be so vast that all the abundance of the harvest will be forgotten. Verse 29 begins, it says, Behold, open your eyes. See see with your spirit. Behold. Okay? It's going to ravage the land. It's going to destroy the land. And we continue on to verse 32. It, it's, it's, it's a statement that simply says, this matter has been confirmed and determined by God. And this God, Elohim, is going to do it quickly. This is a revelation sandwich. It isn't just bookends. It wraps the whole thing around. And it leaves Pharaoh helpless. Let's read verse 33 to 36. It says, And now Pharaoh look for a man, discerning and wise, and set him over the land of Egypt and let pharaoh take action to appoint overseers in the land in charge of the land and let him exact a 20% a fifth of the produce tax if you will gather up every 20th part every every fifth part of the produce of the land 20% in the seven years of abundance then let them gather up the food of these good years that are coming and store up the grain for food in the cities under Pharaoh's authority and let them guard it and let the food come, become as a reserve for the land for the seven years of famine that will occur in the land of Egypt so that the land may not perish during the famine. Joseph has interpreted the devastating future to Pharaoh. That's as a prophet of God. Now he steps into his role as a steward. And he says, with, in the same tone of voice, with the same authority from Elohim, he gives unsolicited advice to this king. Okay? And he says, you need to seek out a man who's discerning and wise. Well, that's a very qualified individual. Okay? And Pharaoh has already learned. He ain't got none. He's learned that there's none of them who are discerning and wise amongst the Hartumim, amongst his court seers and diviners and keepers of the the dream books. Now Joseph may be tactfully suggesting to Pharaoh, quote, don't rely on those who have already failed you, unquote. See, even here, Joseph has no self-interest expressed. If this had been Jacob, his daddy, Jacob could have stood before Pharaoh and said, Oh, great Pharaoh, have I got a deal for you. And he would begin to bargain with Pharaoh to get, so that Jacob could get the better half of this. Okay? Instead, Joseph simply lays out a three-fold plan for survival. Okay? He says, Raise up a prime minister, a vizier. A man of great power and authority—not just wise and discerning—he has great. He needs great power and authority to pull this off. Second, this prime minister, this vizier, is to appoint local overseers to act for Pharaoh in the in taking in the twenty percent for the harvest, the seven years of harvest, and to safely store it up in the cities where Pharaoh has authority. He has already established those cities. And then thirdly, this prime minister is to set up a national rationing system, because Joseph is reminding Pharaoh, God is doing this quickly, and the clock is running in now less than seven years is coming a devastating famine and, and Pharaoh, you need to get on it that the land may not perish. see and this is not this is all the multitude, all the inhabitants of Egypt, but it's also for the surrounding nations who will have to come to Egypt to survive as well. Remember what God said to Abraham? He says, I will bless those that bless you. Here it is. God is keeping his, he's going to keep his promise because Pharaoh's going to turn and bless Joseph. And because he blesses Joseph, he blesses the family of Jacob. And all of Egypt and all the surrounding world will be blessed by the hand of God. All right, let's read verse 37 to 45. It says, Now the proposal seemed good to Pharaoh and to all his servants. And then Pharaoh said to his servants, Can we find a man like this in whom is a divine spirit? So Pharaoh said to Joseph, Since God has informed you of all this, there is no one so discerning and wise as you are. You shall be over my house, and according to your command... All my people shall do homage. Only in the throne I will be greater than you. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, See, I have set you over all the land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh took off his signet ring from his hand and put it on Joseph's hand and clothed him in garments of fine linen and put, linen, and put the gold necklace around his neck. And he said, He would, and he had him ride in his second chariot. Okay? And they proclaimed before him, Bow the knee. And he sent him over all the land of Egypt. Moreover, Pharaoh said to Joseph, Though I am Pharaoh, yet without your permission, no one shall raise his hand or foot in all the land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh named Joseph Zaphnath paneah and gave him Asenath, the daughter of Potiphera, priest of On as his wife. And Joseph went forth over the land of Egypt. Not only did this, did this uh, plan that Joseph had laid out seem good to Pharaoh, but then he comes back, Pharaoh goes back and asks a rhetorical question. He already has the answer. He says, can we find such a man in our system? Can we find such a man amongst the Hartumim? And the answer is clearly, uh-uh, nope. Pharaoh recognizes discernment and wisdom in and on Joseph because he has a divine spirit. And that word for spirit there is ruach. That's the word for, for the spirit. You know, the, the, it's, a, it's part of the, the build-out, if you will, of the word holy spirit okay, in Hebrew. And then Pharaoh says, number one, I'm going to set you up over my house. Well, this shepherd boy, if you will, because he had to learn at the side of Jacob how to do husbandry, how to make flocks grow and breed and survive and grow strong and prosper. From his birth, he was beside daddy. Okay? And ultimately, when he's 17, he is made head over Jacob's house and over the brothers and the family and all the financial affairs. Then he sold into slavery, and he is made head over Potiphar's house, Falsely accused and dropped into the jail, and he is made head over the jail house. And now Pharaoh says, I'm going to put you over my house and over the entire land. All my people will do homage. All right, now think about this forge. Pulls up in front of Potiphar's house, and in that house is Potiphar, who bought him as a slave but who incarcerated him in jail. In that house is the wife of Potiphar, this cougar, if you will, who stalked him and day by day by day said, lie with me, and then made false charges to get him imprisoned. And in that house is the head jailer who used him. So when Joseph rolls up in the chariot, in front of Potiphar's house, it's not a happy day. There's terror because now Joseph has the power of life and death over that house. Okay. Thirdly, he says, Pharaoh said, I'm going I'm to give you a headship. You're going to be overseer over all the lands of Egypt and everything except my throne. Fourthly, the signet ring comes off of Pharaoh's hand and goes on to Joseph's hand. He can sign contracts. He can obligate Pharaoh and the treasury by simply pressing that ring into hot wax or into wet clay. He's clothed in fine linen. He's wrapped about with a gold necklace around his his neck, and he's given the second best chariot that Pharaoh has. He doesn't get the Rolls Royce, but he gets the Mercedes-Benz Maybach the limo, okay? And then it says, over all the land, nobody moves. Nobody has another opinion. Nobody raises their hand or their foot unless you say so. And finally, he's given a new name and a new wife. He's called Zaphanath Panea which if you rework and reword the Egyptian back into that, it says, God speaks and lives is the name by which Joseph is now known. See, that's very similar to, to Daniel's experience. He's taken as a captive out of Jerusalem into the land of Babylon, and he's given a Babylonian name, Belteshazzar. Remember Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, his, his, the other princes, if you will, with Daniel in the land. Okay, they all took Babylonian names, but they didn't take Babylonian morals. They didn't worship at the Babylonian system. The same thing is true of Joseph. He's got an Egyptian name, and now he's going to have an Egyptian wife. Her name is Asenath. She's daughter of the high priest, the priest of On. And George Sarna, who's a, a noted Near East scholar, Hebrew scholar, says the title of the priest of On was the greatest. Excuse me, the greatest of seers. In, an, in a single stroke. Joseph is married into the elite of Ethiopian nobility. All right, Forge family. Joseph is risen from being a dreamer in his father's tents, okay? hated by his brothers, sold into slavery by him, and then purchased by Potiphar to be used and, and, and prosper, and then tossed into jail on false charges and used by the jailer used by the cupbearer and forgotten by the cupbearer. And now, now, he's rushed from the jail into the very presence of the king. But he's rushed by God. Okay? God's hand is all over this. And out of it comes great great authority and great power given into the hands of Joseph. Now, yes, Remember we, we studied 1 Peter? And in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 6, it says, we are to humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt us at a proper time. Yes, suffering can and often does precede honor. But recognize, each man forge, each woman forge, each child forge, forge, has a different destiny. That does not guarantee that God is in any way obligated that he is going to prosper you in the land of the living while we're in the flesh. Okay? So what does the Lord have for each of us? What is part of our destiny? It's righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. And what does God want from us? Well, he wants faith. Now that faith is made up by and expressed by our obedience, our love, and our trust in him in all things. See, Forge, that's the essence of your destiny. And that is the essence of the Joseph story. All right, Ford family, let's pray. Lord God, Holy Spirit, beloved Savior, thank you for the reminders that you work in ways we cannot see and that you make a way. Lord, you made a way from prison to the palace, okay, from the dungeon to the pinnacle of authority and power, second only to the throne of Pharaoh, for the purpose of of rescuing not only the Egyptian nation, but the people of God, the Israelites, who will have to come to Egypt to buy grain to survive. They don't know that there's famine coming. And Joseph doesn't go out of his way to tell them. But that's next. Lord, we we thank you that you place in our midst those who have that kind of prophetic insight. And that kind of stewardship and administrative capacities who bow their knee and humble themselves before the king so that in the kingdom of God, your will on earth is like it is in heaven. Get us ready for that. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, Forge, I love you. See you soon.